Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. <laughs> Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. But financial freedom, what does that really mean? It means the ability for you to live and continue to live even if your boss says we're going to cut you loose. So what about when you decide to cut yourself loose? Or maybe your boss does it for you prematurely before you're ready. Are you going to be ready to retire? And if so, what is going to be the major dominating factor in your retirement plan? Well, an interesting article came out. Um, it's in an article by a survey was done by Money Tips uh, online. And... Um, this article was really interesting because they posed a question that I've, I've never heard it posed this way before. And the point is, is that many, many, many people, you know, before my age, you know, our parents, grandparents grew up with something called a, you know, defined uh, benefit plan where they knew what they were going to get when they retired. They had a certain pension amount that they were going to receive. And they do that, plus their Social Security was going to hold them through no matter how long they live. But now people have these new kinds of plans, which are contribution plans, like 401ks and IRAs. And with the contribution plan, the problem is it only gets larger and only exists as long as you feed it. So as you think about it, what are you really doing with your 401k or your IRA? You're taking money out of your current lifestyle and putting it aside for your, your senior years or your later years. Now, there's a couple things I don't like about that personally. Let's start with the fact that why does anybody want to save up to have some money when they're old? Wouldn't you like to have some money now? You say, well, I do because I work. But wouldn't you like to have the quality of lifestyle you're dreaming about in the future right now? And to do that, all you have to do is create passive streams of income. So we come out here, we produce some passive streams of income by buying rental houses or buying apartment complexes. And now we earn as much of our passive income as we do with our earned income. We're now given the choice, right, the choice whether or not we want to work. But that's, you know, that's an easy choice. It's a fun choice. You know, it's a nice thing to say, you know, I don't want to work anymore. That's okay. Or maybe you still do, you like your job, or maybe you want to do something that you've always wanted to do, but you felt you couldn't earn as much money doing it, so now you do something else you enjoy instead of something you don't enjoy. Those are all nice choices. 
But that's not what these guys asked. These guys asked the craziest question I've ever heard. And here it is. It says, at 65, I would prefer to live financially secure and die at 75 than to live another decade in poverty and die at 85. Do you agree or disagree with this? Amazingly, 40% of Americans agreed that they'd rather die at 75 than to live to 85, ten, live 10 years in poverty to make it to 85. So therein lies the second year problem. Your idea on how to retire, first of all, starts with the idea you can't do it until you're 60, 65, 70 years old. All right. Then it's predicated on the fact you've got a pile of money you can live off of, and that pile of money will be used up to live on your later years in life. But the challenge of that is how long are you going to live? And if you're going to live now like people are living the 80s all the time, 80s and 90s, you know, it used to be 90% of the people were dead by age 65. That's why Social Security worked. But now 90% of the people live past 65. That's why Social Security doesn't work. In the future, it's a Ponzi scheme that's going to blow up. We all know that. But let's just get back to your retirement. How long will your money last you? And do you think it's long enough for you to live? And then the question comes down to, and this is grieved, I mean, really grieving. Would you rather die? We've been joking about this now for the last 27 years in our seminars. So, you know, you go to your financial planner. First thing he asks you is how long do the males or the females in your family live? And you go, why do you want to know that? He goes, because our basic plan is we're going to figure out how much money you can take out of your pile each year so that end up with zero by the time you die. Your goal then is to die on time. Your goal is to die before you run out of money because we can't make you any more money. That's what they're saying to you. We can't make you any more money. We really don't know how to produce money. We just know how to distribute the money you give us so that we can hold off the ultimate demise. But you've got to do your part. You've got to die before you run out of money. Wow. That's a strange thing. Now, there's some interesting ramifications of this article I thought were and it put an interesting twist on it and that is rich people don't believe how painful it is to be broke they've never conceived it so they voted more of them saying I'd rather live in poverty than die because rich people believe that somewhere they'll get the money they've never been in a situation where they can't get money but poor people, in a very high percentage, much higher percentage, know what it's like to live without food, without shelter, to live on the street, or just to have to live off your family. They know what it is to struggle and how miserable it is to live without money in your life. And because of that, they definitely would rather die at 75. What am I going to do? You think my family, when I'm 80, when I'm 75 to 85, my kids are going to be 55 to 65, depending on when they had, you know, I had them. And I'm going to expect 55-year-olds who are coming into their own senior life to be able to take care of me for the next 10 years from 75 to 85. Because it's going to have to be them. There's nobody else going to take care of us. A pittance of Social Security isn't do it. 
My plan has long since run out. What do I do? What do Americans that don't have retirement accounts do? Now, this is interesting. They only surveyed people that had retirement accounts, like 401ks and IRAs. If you would survey people that have no money at all, that would be an interesting one. Do you know that a very large percentage, and I don't remember the exact percentage, so instead of trying to say something uh, that's not factual, let's say I have heard that somewhere around 50% of all Americans have less than $10,000 saved up for retirement. That's an astonishing number. Now, when you get to um, get up into more affluent society, you look at the average 401k, for example, 50% of Americans have less than $50,000 in their 401k, but the average 401k is like 75,000 bucks. Again, these are numbers off the top of my head. They're probably pretty close, but you can go look them up if you uh, disbelieve what I'm saying. So if the average is only $75,000 for the people that have 401ks, how long can you live on 75,000 bucks? If you make 50 to 100,000 dollars a year, how long can you live on 75,000 dollars? So you're ultimately going to end up living in poverty. That's a scary thing. It's a very scary thing. And I meet people all the time and they say, "Well, it's too late. How do I do it now? Say, what do you mean, how do you do it now? You do it now the same way I did it when I was 35 years old. You start investing in real estate. Because at 32, 33, two and a half years, I retired 34, so take that backwards, 31 and a half, wherever it was I started. I didn't have any real estate, and I didn't have very much money, but I just went out and bought my first rent house. And then my second, my third, my fourth, my fifth, my eighth, my eleventh and so on and so on. Where do you start? You start wherever you're at right now because two and a half years later, I retired. So two and a half years from now, you could retire. So if you're 65 and you're sitting there going, is it too late for me? And the answer is, of course it's not too late. Now, I had someone send me uh, an email that we'll, we'll go over when we come back. Uh, but basically the question was, I'm 70 years old. Should I be investing at my age? And the question is, what else are you going to do? Are you just going to let your money run out? Or should you have whatever money you have earning income? We'll cover that when we get back. If you'd like to call and ask questions today, I'm going to be doing emails today. I'm going to be doing documents today. So the whole day is open. We'll be right back with the Dell Walmsley Radio Show. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time. Del Wamsley. 
Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. In the first segment, we're discussing the fact that uh, a um, survey was taken, and they found that a large percentage of Americans, 40%, uh, roughly roughly 40%, I think it's 39.9 or 39.8, something like that, percent of Americans uh, would prefer to die than run out of money. And that mentality, I've been I've been joking about that mentality for the last 27 years of my seminars. And now it just, to me, it blows my mind that that literally turns out to be true, that that is the goal to die before you run out of money. Also, during the last segment, I told you I had an email that had come in and someone had asked some questions. It was a question posted on our question board on the website, I believe. Um, or maybe he just called. I'm not sure. But basically, here's what it is. The question is, how old is too old to invest? How old is too old to invest? And I'm sure where, you, where you're talking about that is you're talking about risk versus reward. Like, hey, if I'm old, I can't afford any risk. If I lose all my money, I'm going to go broke. Well, hey, that's the case when you're talking about things you have no control of, like the stock market. If you're buying into things you have no control of, then there does become an age where you can't risk anymore. And I don't even know what that age would be. I guess it's whatever age that if you lost 40% of your money at one time, you wouldn't be able to survive the rest of your life. I guess that's the way you would calculate it. But to me, other than that, it just doesn't make any sense because let's think about it. Even in the most mundane situation, if you were 70, 80, 90 years of age, what are you going to do with your money? You're not going to leave it in the bank and sit and do nothing. You're going to at least put it in a savings account. I've got savings accounts right now with some of my money sitting in. It's 1.75% interest. And if you don't know where to find that, just go on the Internet. If you haven't looked it up lately, I've got savings account at one and four tenths of a percent, one and a half percent, 1.6 or, you know, 1.6%, whatever. 1.75 is the highest one that I've found so far. But, you know, it doesn't matter whether I'm 80, 90, or 100. I'd re- that's still invested. What they're talking about is not investing, right? Not investing in risky investments. So I started thinking about this and I go, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Now, the guy had some very specific situation and I'm going to answer his very specific situation just to show you how crazy this is. But this isn't even as good as it is for everybody. I mean, other people are going to be different. But this guy's 71 years old. He has $800,000 in a retirement account. He makes 80000 annually from a job, and he's just getting over cancer and has 10 years to live. Well, I just got over cancer a couple years ago, five years ago, so I guess I've only got five years left. And it's no big deal. I could have five, I could have 10, I could have 50. It doesn't matter because my money will last me the rest of my life. At some point at 71 and having had cancer, this dude should be retired. Why isn't he retired? Because some idiot out there convinced to put his money in an IRA. Let me tell you what I mean. Let me show you what I mean. You got $800,000. Invested in a real estate deal. You're going to be making between 8 and 15% on cash flow returns if you pick the right deals. And that's going to be tax-free money. Where if you keep this in your IRA and... You luckily make any money at all. The stock market doesn't crash on you, or maybe you're buying some safer stuff like some bonds, and, and maybe the bonds go up and down in value, but it doesn't matter if you never cash them in. Maybe savings accounts like I spoke about earlier. 
But when the money comes out of the IRA, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Whereas the money that we earn from the real estate is going to be tax deferred until we die. And then when we die, it's going to go away. There's going to be no taxes. We're going to defer, 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 die and never pay taxes on that income. So if this guy's got $800,000, all he has to get is a 10% return, which is very easy to make 80 grand a year. And in real estate, that would be tax-free. Wow. Now, I was sitting talking with one of my mentors yesterday, and I was discussing his approach. I guess to tell you it's Curtis Haynes. And we were discussing his approach to investing. Uh, and what he's basically doing is he's putting a small amount of money in each of 10 apartment complexes a year, passively in most cases. Uh, so he is diversifying, but with a large number of different investments with different in leads investors to operate these things, he's got a very secure portfolio, safe portfolio, because it's so diversified. Yet at the same time, he's pulling out double-digit cash flow returns. And on many of these deals, anywhere from two years and out, they're refinancing and giving back tax-free his investment, completely tax-free, returning an amount of money equal to his investment or greater or slightly less. And he's taking that money and reinvesting it again. And his statement is he's got so much cash flow coming in, he finds it harder to deploy the amount of income he's got coming in and get it back out there. So that's why he had to stop doing deals himself. He couldn't do deals himself fast enough. And so he started just investing with other leads so that he could get to more and more deals. And so I started thinking myself, you know, that might be a good plan for me, too. I've almost died of staff, almost died of cancer. Um, you know, I've got every kind of thing wrong with you can have wrong with you. Everything should be high is low. Everything should be low is high. Take medications for all kinds of stuff. Hey, why should I be doing anything anymore? Why should I be out there investing and, and running and operating these businesses? And I thought to myself, well, I really don't need to. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I don't need to. One of which, I have enough wealth right now that I can live for 50 years and still never, ever, 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 ever even touch my money. Right? But secondly, I started thinking about it. Why do I even need you know, to do it? With the amount of, income, amount of money I have right now, if I stick it out there and earn 8 10% on it, I'm going to be making millions and millions a year. Wow. And then someone comes back and says, but should I invest at 71? The answer is absolutely. 71, 81, whatever you are. Your money's got to be invested somewhere and not just sitting there doing nothing. The amount of risk, hey, that should be moderated. My risk levels are very low right now. I don't have hardly any risk at all. When I was young, I was willing to take a lot of risk. Do very risky deals with very, very high rates of return. So as I got older, I bought better and better properties, which cost more. The more they cost, the better the property little bit lower rate of return, but very solid, safe returns as I grew older and older. As you get older, you're probably going to want to think about safety. There's no doubt about that. But where do you ever get old enough that safety means no cash flow? 
See, that just doesn't sit right with me. There's something wrong about that theory that I just can't get my arms around. I hope that you understand what I'm saying. We're going to take a short break. Would you be willing to give up 10 years of your life to be able to retire in comfort? Or would you rather live 10 years in poverty? Take a short break. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time. Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today, Melissa comes running up to me with a gigantic smile on her face. <laughs> Just couldn't wait to tell me this bit of news. Uh, she says it's happened. It's happened exactly like you predicted it would happen. It happened. And I said, what is that? She says, look on Facebook. There's an article on Facebook, a video that says 138,000 families are leaving California for Nevada or Texas. 138,000 families. So what did I predict? I told you just as soon as they changed that tax law, where the, Cal- the state of California was ripping off the U.S. government, the federal government, us, by saying that you could write off your property tax, sales tax, and personal state income tax against your national federal income tax. And when the tax law got changed, this new Trump tax law change, they took away the ability to write off state, local property, and state income taxes and local property taxes off against your federal tax return. That meant that the typical uh, Californian had a 10 to 12% increase in taxes for just their personal income taxes alone. And then the average home in California is $400,000. In some cities, uh, it's as high as $500,000 or $800,000. So you figure whatever property tax amount they charge, even if it's only 1%, is still a massive amount of money per year. If it's 2 or 3%, you know, it's unbelievable. 40000 to 80000 a year in property taxes. They're not going to have to pay those. They're not going to be able to write them off against their federal income tax anymore. Guys, this 138000 is only the first group. And interestingly enough, it's the group that are paying taxes. It's not the poor people moving out. So the state is going to go broke. Mark my words, the state is going to look for a federal bailout. And if the Democrats get back in power, they will let them have it. And the state is already trying to get around this law. What they're saying is, or what they're trying to pass a law to say is, is that your property taxes are a gift to the state. Your state income taxes are a gift to the state. And since you're gifting them, you can write them off as gift on your federal tax return. Man, I don't know how you play that game. I mean, does every state do that then? Does everybody do that then? The bottom line is until the state of California figures out that it's been ripping people off over the whole entire country. First of all, it's ripping off the people it's taxing. 
those incredible state income taxes. But then the fact that they're letting everybody else in the government, the U.S. government, the federal government, is losing that income for the rest of us. And now that it's changed, if they don't change it back, somehow the Democrats don't get control and rig it some other way, they're going to actually pay, really pay the taxes that they're consuming. And if that happens, this 138,000 families, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, the law was only passed early this year, and we're only in March. <laughs> it's already 138,000 families. It could be 500,000 families by the time it's over. It could be a million families by the time it's over. Now, who's going to pay all that state income tax? And how are they going to pay for all those illegal aliens living on welfare? All the free schooling, free education, free medical they give out to everybody, especially all the illegal aliens. Right? Where's all that money going to come from now? Now, why am I bringing this up? Um, doesn't really bother me. I'm rich. So just because they're burning all of us, the burn job doesn't get to me because of the way I've set myself up to not pay income taxes through real estate investing. That income was tax-free, tax Actually, we call it tax-deferred until I die. According to that last article, I'm probably not going to live that much longer. <laughs> but, the, but the bottom line is, the reason I'm bringing it up is Think about the investment values of things. If people are moving into Texas because of the beautiful tax laws here, the conservative environment here, to get away from the liberal craziness of California, then my gosh, real estate values in Texas are going to go up. Well, they have been, Dell. They've been skyrocketing for the last 10 years. Yeah, and... They're getting very high. I guess that means they're going to stop. No, they're not going to stop. Because all the people that flocked to California for the weather, for the beautiful sights and scenery, are now flocking to Texas for the taxes or the lack thereof. So, my friends, I'm pro-Texas again. I see it coming. Now, it's interesting. The article said Nevada also. And I don't know that much about Nevada, but I'm definitely going to start checking it out and see what's going on up there. I believe that Nevada's a little further north, so people like myself would never live up there. I just, I can't stand the cold. In fact, I was laughing with the producer here just a minute ago. He lives in Chicago, and he's complaining it's 34 degrees right now. And I said, well, why do you stay there? And he goes, well, you can get free hockey in the winter. I go, well, there's a trade-off in life, huh? Let's get some free hockey. No, but the bottom line is, is that... I would live in Nevada compared to California to get out of 10 or 12% personal income taxes. Man, that's a lot. So there you have it. Big news. It's out there. It's occurring. Let's move on to the next topic. Um, here's one that says, uh, email came and says, it's been a while since I've had a question. Now I have one. I realize the radio show emphasizes more targeted towards rental houses and medium-sized apartments. Have you ever considered or do you know about buying blocks of condominiums in a tower? I live in one, rent the rest, or live in one and rent the rest. Risk and reward might be too high. The financing problem may be too complicated. 
For now, I live in downtown Austin. I have seen the future. Plans for downtown. There are cranes, many places, and someone is spending a lot of money building them. Who is going to do it and make money? But I don't know the timing and the locations, everything. Condominiums are the worst investment you could possibly get into. Why are condominiums so bad? Number one, they're the most overpriced real estate you buy. When you buy real estate, now let's think about it. We buy it either to live in it ourselves or to rent it to somebody else. When you buy real estate, you're buying either a situation where you want very inexpensive housing, in which case condominiums are very expensive, or secondly, you're buying it because you want privacy, like a yard for your dog to run in, your kid to play in, garages for your cars. Condominiums don't have that. Uh, you want home ownership. In a condominium, you don't own anything. You own the airspace inside of the unit. The only thing worse than a condo is a timeshare where you only own, own the airspace inside the condo X number of weeks a year. In a condominium, you have people that know nothing about real estate living in the building and creating the management group that manages the condominium. How do I know they know nothing about real estate? Because they live in a condo. Which comes first, chicken or the egg? If you're stupid enough to buy a condo, now you're the person on the board running the condo. And the condo board is run by a group of people who have no idea what they're doing. It's different than an apartment complex. We own the same number of units as in that high-rise building. We're running them totally different. Our cost factors are different. Our needs and desires are different. These guys are lunatics. How do I know all this? Because I've been in condominium associations. And when I was in condominium associations, inevitably, it irritated me so bad these guys were making such stupid decisions, making our our association fee go up and up and up from 100 to 200 to 400 some places it's 800 a thousand bucks a month a month can you believe that an association fee of a thousand bucks a month but why because the idiots running the board don't know how to keep the cost down none no idea or they're idiots that don't fix anything and when they don't fix anything then the place becomes worth nothing and it's miserable to live there. So your value becomes nothing. And eventually they have to hit you up with a special um, fee for a large amount to come back and fix the stuff they haven't on a regular basis been maintaining. No, my friends, do not buy condos ever, ever, ever. Take a short break. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're uh, going through uh, the mailbag and picking up uh, articles that people have sent me and also emails that people have sent me. Uh, the next email comes down and has a few questions. says, do you need to be a preferred member to invest passively with the lead investors? The answer is absolutely you have to. Uh, that is the only way that we know that you have uh, the accreditation 
necessary that you have the understanding of the risks that are involved, understanding how the deals are put together, understanding uh, of what the rules are to participate in these types of investments. And uh, you, you need that to qualify to get into our deals. They're all private deals, and you have to be part of our private group. Number two, it says, I understand that being a lead investor is a big undertaking unless you can be in it full time. Does the same apply to IRO as in on-site management? Okay, as listeners out there, you have to understand a couple different terms to really, really be able to understand this. The first term is on-site management. That's your manager that lives on-site or just comes to work every day and runs the property. You, as an investor, should never be the manager. Now, you've heard um, John Boryak the other day say that he, his dad, when he bought him his first apartment complex, made him be the manager because he wanted him to learn the business from the ground up. And John was only 18 years old at the time or, or 19 or something like that. And so he wanted him to learn it. So he put him in there and it was a job. That's not what you're going to be doing if you're investing in apartment complexes. Number two, if you own an apartment complex yourself, you have maintenance men and so forth. Then you come to the level of, do you operate your property from the asset management position or not? For example, you might own, when I own my first small apartment complexes, I never was the manager of any of them. Uh, I had managers on location at every one of them. Even my 10 unit had a manager. But I elected to be my asset manager. Now, what does that mean? That means I hired and fired staff. It means I did the accounting. And it means I negotiated the contracts with the vendors. Now, later on, as I got larger properties, I hired managers that could do most of that. They negotiated contracts with the vendors. They hired and trained the staff besides themselves. I still had to hire the manager, right? And so I was still the asset manager, but the amount of time taken to be that asset manager became very little. Very, very little. About four hours a month on three apartment complexes. Um, Very little. So, you know, is this gentleman asking, uh, as an IRO, how much time does it take? Well, if you know what you're doing and you have large enough number of units that you hire good staff, then it's not that much time. Then you got to come to the next level. What if you're going to go out there and you're going to buy something that needs to be fixed up? Now you're not only going to be the asset manager, you're going to be the construction manager, the renovation manager. Now that's what takes a lot of time. Now you got to go out there and make sure the vendors, the construction people are doing the right job, getting it done the way you wanted it done, follow through, budget all that stuff. Now you got more time involved. And again, just as an asset manager, right? Now you go one step larger. Many leads and or independent owners, myself included, when I own my own properties, eventually set up their own management company. So now they own the company that's making all those decisions they used to make. And you hire yourself staff for the management company. So I had a supervisor that ran all my managers. She hired, fired, trained all my staff, managers, maintenance men, everybody. She hired, fired, and trained them. And then I had a bookkeeper that did all the accounting. And my supervisor negotiated all the vendor contracts. So now I did nothing. And yet I was an IRO. I was an independent owner. And I did nothing. So it could be set up to do nothing that way, right? But again, if I were going to be doing a large construction deal, a total turnaround, 
well, then I'm going to be a little more involved because I'm going to want to talk to my supervisor more often, uh, monitor our progress, so on and so forth. Now let's go one step further. That step is, okay, now I have a management company, not mine, but a third-party management company is operating the place. Now I'm going to be doing very little except monitoring the financial statements that come through to make sure that the progress that they're making is in accordance with what they guaranteed me they could come through with and that we're getting the type of uh, income that we're looking for out of the asset. In that particular case, I'm working very, very little, almost nothing, and I'm still an independent owner. So you see, there's many levels of this stuff, and the question that you asked just isn't one that is going to be easily answered. The next question is, uh, would three or 400000 be enough for an IRO to get into uh, get on-site management? The answer is absolutely yes. There's no problem with that at all. Uh, with that amount of money, you can easily get into something with on-site management. And said, I've never heard any comment about this on the radio. Uh, should leads get additional benefits for fees for different things like acquisition? Our leads have a scale of additional benefit called override which is uh, a situation where as they have been successful in one deal, second deal, third deal, fourth deal, they can get paid a little bit of a disproportionate amount of the profits. It's not a large amount, but it's an amount that makes it worthwhile to be a lead investor without hurting the passive investors. The idea is if you took too much, nobody would invest with you. So you have to take a small enough amount that it would be fair to the other investors. So there it is, guys. That's the secret to starting out as an individual if there ever was one. Remember, folks, as we do this stuff here, we're not doing it for just money. We're doing it for a quality of lifestyle that's unbelievable. And that's why a question like this, although very difficult to answer, is an important question. You got to decide what you want. If you want more lifestyle, then you're going to do different types of investing here with us. We have those types of deals also called passive investing. All right, it's been a great day. And remember always, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle. We'll see you tomorrow.